Francesco Public Schools will be closed on Wednesday due to the ongoing safety concern. Tuesday, April 16, 2019, four days before the 20th anniversary of the massacre at Columbine High School, Colorado police scrambled to find an 18-year-old woman obsessed with the 1999 shooting. The FBI and law enforcement across Colorado are looking by the 18-year-old girl who traveled from Florida to Colorado. That is infatuated with Columbine, that she's made concerning spoken statements in the past. She is in the area somewhere, and they want people to be on a lookout for her. The FBI said she flew in from Florida and purchased a pump-action shotgun. They're warning the public that she is armed and extremely dangerous and could be a threat to schools. In response, schools all over the state went on high alert. Jefferson County, Denver, Aurora, Littleton, uh, those are all specific school, but still hundreds of schools have closed this morning, hoping to learn more information. This Saturday marks 20 years since the Columbine shooting. So this whole situation is going to hit extremely close to home for so many people that live through that horrific situation, as well as parents with little children in different. Less than 24 hours after the FBI announced the manhunt, Police found the woman dead in a mountain area, nearly 50 miles from the school. She was no longer a threat to the community, but her morbid curiosity points to troubling and unexpected aspects of Columbine's legacy in the community. We've learned this woman is not the first Colorado visitor with a twisted relationship with the shooting or the school. There's nothing like it in the country. There's there's no other school um, that has to deal with the issues that Columbine has to deal with. From Rocky Mountain PBS, this is Insight, the podcast companion to our television program. I'm Lori Jane Gleha. In the two decades since the shooting, Columbine has come to represent many different things to many different people. For some, it's a memory of violence. For others who weren't there that day, it's a source of fascination morbid curiosity. But at the same time, Columbine is still a high school. In this final episode of Ripples of Columbine, we're going back to Columbine High School to investigate what draws some people to the site and what pushes others away. For our own colleague, managing editor John Ferrugia, the high school brings unsettling feelings. 20 years ago, he was a reporter at the scene of the shooting. I think the thing that recurs in my memory is is arriving in the helicopter at Columbine and seeing those kids on the ground. That was awful. John worked for the local ABC affiliate, and he was at Columbine High School shortly after the shooting started. There were, there were bodies, uh, and I was pretty shocked. I was on the radio saying, look, this is, this is no drive-by, this is, a, uh, this is a siege. Several months ago, our team got the assignment to look at how Columbine altered lives and schools and the whole community 20 years later. As we started working on this story, the 20-year anniversary, um, and I began looking at these photographs again and seeing the, the video from the air and so on, I mean, it really... Uh, it really impacted me. It really uh, caused me to, uh, to feel really bad again. John found himself back at that familiar building he'd seen from the air. Earlier in my career as a network correspondent, I was in Beirut. You're in a war zone. You see things that are really bad. So when you come home or you come out of that war zone, you can compartmentalize that to some degree and saying, look, 
that's not where I am. That's a war zone. It was a time and a place. Uh, you know, I'm not fearful of that, right? The, the, the challenge with, with Columbine was, is that, you know, you're in Littleton, you know, you are, you are in a neighborhood, you know, the lawn sprinklers are going off, the dogs are barking, and people are lying in the street and on the grass bleeding. And you can't separate that. When John returned to Columbine recently, he found a much more peaceful situation. It was the same building on Pierce Street, the same lawn sprinklers, the same suburban neighborhood. And there were no signs of the violence he saw back in 1999. He went inside the building with A.J. DeAndrea, one of the SWAT officers who responded to the shooting, to learn his perspective. So we came in this way. We were, we were told that there were 60 students uh, in a closet off the... You're uncomfortable in Columbine. Very much so. I can see that. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to sit in here. No. There's times it seems like forever ago, and then there's moments where it's right now. It's, it's, it's half of a heartbeat ago, right? That day changed everything. And I'm very uneasy in here. When I'm in here, when, when I'm in these four walls, all I'm left with is the failures. The shooters killed 13 people and themselves at the school that day. For A.J. DeAndrea and the survivors who witnessed murders, the images from that day come back when they see the building. I mean, I have never gone back into that school willingly, like on my own. We profiled Dewatawa in our first episode. She's a survivor who watched the gunman shoot her friends as she crouched under a table in the school library. Remarkably, she escaped uninjured. And I remember um, being really anxious the first time walking into the school and thinking, oh my gosh, can I do this? She returned to the school a couple of times for her younger sister's school functions, but she's not sure if she'd want to go back now as an adult. And maybe it might still be beneficial for me to walk in the school and be like, wow, everything is changed. Everything is, there's not books on the ground and like shattered glass and like there's not like this, the memory I have of it, the last memory that I have of it. For some survivors, the fear of that building has eased with time. Like Heather Martin from our second episode. She says returning there for her 10-year reunion changed her life for the better. I went back and I wasn't scared. Um, I will always remember that day and I will always remember the things that happened that day, but I really remembered the good things from high school and just how Columbine was my home. Across the street from Columbine High School today, in Clement Park, there is a reminder of what happened at the school. It's a memorial site with engravings commemorating the 13 murder victims and those who were injured. The park draws hundreds of visitors who pay respects every year, but there are also people who come because they're just curious, sometimes too curious. And that doesn't sit well with those who lost people they loved, like Molly Holt. It's like a tourist trap. Like, that is ridiculous. These are people's lives that were lost. Um, and not just lives that are lost, but all the victims, all the families, the community. This was so traumatic. Woo! Molly was a pitcher on the Columbine softball team in 1999, her coach, Dave Sanders, was one of the 13 people killed. 
I feel like people that go to be like, oh, I want to see what happened here, or this is Columbine, makes me sick. It makes me sick. Like people lost their lives. This should not be, shouldn't be like this. It's not just the park that attracts visitors. Unfortunately, it's the school too. It's probably been the most shocking thing in terms of managing the security at Columbine High School is dealing with the people that are inspired, that want to feel it, touch it, see it, and, you know, just are on the fringe. That's John McDonald, head of security for Columbine and all of the schools in the district. And this is just one camera. You've got cameras every place around There's Columbine. There's a lot of cameras around Columbine. Yeah. Yeah. He gave John Ferugia a tour of the tight security yeah. setup. Because you've got your people there 24 hours Correct. a day who are yeah. watching that. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Are you seeing an increase in the number of people trying to get into this? Yes. Tell me about yes. that. It's about a tenfold increase over the last decade. And I don't know why. Um, nobody's been able to explain it to us. In the first couple of months of yeah. this year, how many people have tried to get into school? Um, we're averaging about 198 a month. A month? A month. 198 people a month are trying to get into yeah. school for yeah. various reasons. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and what do you do? And you have people there, obviously. Oh, the we stop them. We engage them. We find out what they're doing, what their purpose is, what their intent is. John spoke with John McDonald a few weeks ago, long before the Florida woman made national headlines with her Columbine obsession and shotgun purchase. At the time, this morbid obsession seemed crazy to us. So we read through dozens of reports from the sheriff's office about security incidents at the school. Some seem innocent enough, people from out of state just driving by, stopping to take a couple of photos. But other reports could cause more concern. Like a person who visited the school several times who deputies later found had a vanity license plate with one of the killer's name on it. And there are more cases. This woman in Ohio that was arrested for planning a mass bombing had made a visit to Columbine earlier um, this school year. And she had been on the property. We contacted her. We made sure we documented all of her information. We did not know she was under FBI surveillance at the time. Uh, and she represented that later on, when I guess when questioned, that she was here because she felt like the killers are godlike and was inspired to come here. In 2018, a teacher reported a weird guy in the parking lot who seemed to be watching her. Surveillance video showed him trying to open a locked door. Deputies found him on Facebook and found posts about death and Satan and serial killers. And then there's the guy who emailed the school asking about security procedures, claiming he was thinking of enrolling his kids there. Well, deputies followed up and found out he's a ninth grader from another state who is, quote, very interested in school shootings, and he was already on the FBI's radar. If they're there because they're inspired by, you know, and, and we'll, we automatically call law enforcement, we get them out, we criminally trespass them. Uh, we're putting them in the system right away because we want to stop it. And we're making a point that you don't come back and, and we're going to know if you come back. Um, I'm not giving them the opportunity to get in. Uh, and it's important because it's like a wonderful school. And the way that we manage our kids really don't feel the impact of this at all. And that's the way it should be. Is it fair that today's students have to deal with all of this, all because of a crime that happened before they were even born? If it hasn't stopped after 20 years, will it ever stop? You know, after Sandy Hook, they demolished the school and they built a new school. I think in their minds, in a lot of law enforcement minds, it would have been better 
to just get rid of the school because then you wouldn't have all these people coming in and, and trying to get in and, and see the Columbine flower and get into the entryway and, and, and touch the school. After the Columbine shooting, they demolished the library where most of the killing happened, but they left the main building standing. Molly Holt says seeing the building triggers upsetting memories. Do you think the school should have been torn down? Yeah. And it makes me sick because every time I blink, I think of the video footage of everybody coming out uh, with the SWAT teams, hands on their heads, single file. That's what I think of now. When I go to that school, there are not any memories of actual high school. Other people we talked to feel the same way, like Randy Brown. His son Brooks was once friends with the killers. He said he thought the school should have been torn down when the shooting first happened, and he still believes that today. They should take a front loader and they should demolish Columbine High School and change the name because this is going to do nothing but be a memorial to school shooters. Um, we've received death threats from people that, um, from Columbine, and uh, on the Internet there are a lot of Columbine groupies, and I don't want to promote that at all. That's, those people are just confused. But for every strange event that would make people want to tear down the building, there are so many reasons others give to keep it standing. We talked to the former principal, Frank DeAngelis, and he told us why he felt it was so important to return to the same school after the shooting. I think the two killers really wanted to put fear in us, and they said, we we are going to live on forever, and we're going to haunt you for the rest of our lives. And I just couldn't do it. And I think one of the reasons that we returned back to Columbine High School is if we did not return to the physical building of Columbine High School, then the two had won. I would not allow those kids, the two killers, to win. And I think our community rose up to say, no, this is not going to happen. Now, here we are 20 years later. The school is still standing on Pierce Street. And on the anniversary of the shooting, some survivors, like Corey Whitfield, are preparing to return to campus to honor the lives lost. I'm anticipating something bubbling up at that point, um, and I'm trying my best to be prepared for that. You heard from Corey in our second episode. She ran for her life from Columbine. But now she's feeling empowered to go back. So 20 years ago, I was totally for them just tear down the school, start over again, do something different. Um, It wasn't until later on that I was like, you know what, no, it needs to stay open because it's a legacy to those kids who survived. And it's where children lost their lives. And the best way to to show that we are honoring them is to just continue on and, and to still have life and to still honor them but move on. I'm Lori Jangleha, and this has been Ripples of Columbine, a three-part series from Insight. For more investigative reporting from Rocky Mountain PBS in Denver, Colorado, subscribe to Insight from RMPBS on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Our producers are Brittany Freeman and Paul Caroli. Sound editing, mixing, and design by Matthew Simonson. Special thanks to House of Pod in Denver. Our music is provided by First Com and Blue Dot Sessions. To go beyond Columbine, check out our TV programs, The Ripples of Columbine, airing on Rocky Mountain PBS. You can find those at rmpbs.org slash beyondcolumbine.